Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. I'm solo today. My my co-host, David Tainter, is out sick. So I am going to uh, manage all this on my own. And it's I, th- I think we have an interesting episode today. Um, there's a lot that has come out over the last week, not just on the Russia probe, but on a, a, a specific dimension of the Russia probe, which has a relationship to... Russia and uh, Russian nationals and possible collusion with Russia that isn't altogether clear. It's more focused on the Middle East. And so we're going to talk about that today. Before we do, I want to tell you a few important things from our sponsor, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Order Grady's Cold Brew directly to your home, office, or campaign call center. Drink it straight, mix it in your favorite milk, or add some vodka for the ultimate white Russian. Or add some Trump vodka for the ultimate White House Russian. That's actually in the copy. This is this is not me uh, riffing. Grady's famous chicory-infused brew is always ready to pour straight from your fridge. Try out the Grady's cold brew kit and get 36 cups of iced coffee for only 30 bucks. And they ship it worldwide. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Okay, so let's. There's a, a few things I'm going to talk about in 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 this episode. It's it's mainly centered on two recent articles. One came out over the weekend from the New York Times. Another came out just yesterday from the Associated Press. They both figure on a guy named George Nader. Now, this is someone who has uh, been. Uh, kind of going, you know, around the Trump-Russia story for about five months now. We first heard him as as a key player back in January of this year. He has a long uh, kind of in-the-shadows history that long predates this. In the 90s, he was a key go-between for the U.S. and the Israelis and the Syrians uh, trying to broker a peace between Israel and Syria. Um, that was his role. The, the, the Israelis and the Syrians have no uh, diplomatic ties. So he was a interlocutor. And, and from my understanding of, 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 of speaking with people who were involved in those uh, ongoing and, and ultimately fruitless negotiations, someone who the U.S. government relied on uh, pretty closely. In any way, fast forward uh, to today when you have a couple pedophilia uh, uh, convictions uh, under under George's belt and he resurfaces as a guy in the in the Trump Russia investigation. So let's what I want to do today is 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 first not look at when we found things out, but the actual chain of events, the actual timeline. And we're going to start on August 3rd. 
2016. So this is a only a, a few days after the end of the Democratic convention. You know, just going into that is the first WikiLeaks uh, release of DNC emails. So a lot is happening in this period. You've got the the Republican National Convention. You've got that weirdness with the platform and the, and the and the references to Ukraine and lethal aid. You've got the the emails first surfacing from WikiLeaks. Then you have the Democratic uh, National Convention, and it's around this time that that President Trump is is out there uh, saying, you know, Russia. I hope you, I I, I want you to to hack more and and all this kind of stuff. All right, so. A couple months before this, there's that Trump Tower meeting in June 2016. And a few months later, there's another meeting in Trump Tower, also with Donald Trump Jr. This one is on August 3rd, 2016. Here you have a different set of players. It's George Nader, Eric Prince, who we know from 15 years ago when he was the CEO of Blackwater and all that happened in Iraq and all that kind of stuff. And then another guy named Joel Zamel, I think I'm pronouncing it right. He is an Israeli who has a bunch of different social media companies that uh, do basically the kind of stuff that the Russians were doing on Trump's behalf during the 2016 campaign. Uh, You know, coordinating bots to amplify messages and to shape public opinion and so forth. So to a certain extent, like social media PR campaigns, but with a very, uh, how can you put it, uh, you know, intelligence agency psyops kind of uh, kind of tinge to it. So anyway, they sit down with uh, Donald Trump Jr. And the pitch is that George Nader is there as the emissary of the uh, royal families of the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, and they want to help Donald Trump become president. They want to bring money. They want to bring support. They want to help him be president. So a common theme here, foreign nationals coming and saying they want to be part of the Trump campaign. Now, this this comes out of that article uh, I mentioned in the New York Times, And one of the interesting things about this article is that there's a number of things stated, and then there are pretty clear conclusions to draw about what that might mean, but there's clearly some facts they hadn't been able to quite nail down. So one of those is uh, they propose, hey, you know, Joel here can do this social media campaign to help you guys win, and we've got a proposal here, and this is great stuff. Uh, they don't seem to know exactly whether that campaign happened. It's very interesting, though, because the kind of work this guy and his firms do, though, is very similar to the stuff the Russians were doing at the same time and would continue to do over the next three months. Later, uh, George Nader pays this guy $2 million. Now, why would he pay him $2 million? Presumably because he did the campaign and the price tag was $2 million. Where would Nader get that money? Well, he works for the leaders of the United Arab Emirates. So presumably he got it from them. But again, these part these points aren't stated explicitly. So that's that is what is being proposed in that April, I'm sorry, August 3rd uh, Trump Tower meeting. Now, there's some other interesting things here. So what is what is Eric Prince there doing? That's not entirely clear. His since he since uh, he moved on from Blackwater, he's been trying to create big mercenary armies 
in various parts of the Middle East and Central Asia. So it seems like that's kind of his angle. He's also pretty tight with the people in United Arab Emirates. Who knows? Now, another interesting thing is the Israeli social media guy, He, one of his clients is Oleg Deripaska. He's the guy who Paul Manafort owes $20 million to. So a small world. A lot of different things are coming together here. Uh, now, in the Times piece, we don't know exactly uh, what came of this meeting. What we do know, though, is that this is when George Nader's relationship with the Trump family starts. And he is a very close advisor of the Trump family, the Trump campaign, the various Trump spawn um, from this point onward and really is until the beginning of this year, until until 2018. So uh, that goes on, close advisor, uh, through the final months of the campaign. We know that Nader is the one who, in January 2017, set up that meeting in the Seychelles bringing together the guy who runs a Russian state investment fund and is very close to Vladimir Putin, a meeting between him and Eric Prince. Again, same guy at the meeting in Trump Tower back in August. For a long time, we didn't quite know what that meeting was about. I mean, Seychelles is is literally in the middle of the ocean, right? It's out in the middle of the, the Indian Ocean. So it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, strange place to meet, but maybe a good place if you're trying to hide the fact that you're meeting. So Eric Prince, this Russian guy, uh, and people from the United Arab Emirates uh, get together there. And from what we understand now, that is an effort to solidify a back channel between the Trump family and Russia, as President Trump is about to be sworn in and become president. Okay, so fast go forward a couple weeks at the inauguration of President Trump in January 2017, George Nader, uh, who is a U.S. citizen, uh, George Nader meets for the first time a man named Elliot Broidy. Now, Elliot Broidy is a, uh, a billionaire, but I think a billionaire who has like $1 billion, which is, you know, pretty good. Most of us would, would be happy with that. Uh, a very wealthy man. Uh, is is a mix of an investor, also has a big security company. Uh, he's looking for contracts in the Middle East. Um, so they get together. But the key here to remember, we'll come back, this, come back to this in a minute. This is the first time they meet. So everything that these two do over the course of 2017 comes after the original approach that George Nader makes as an emissary of these Gulf princes, uh, uh, the crown princes, the sort of de facto rulers of the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia. So in any case, they get together and they have this plan that will involve bringing the Trump family on board efforts of Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates and a bunch of other countries, but they're the ones who are really leading it to isolate the nation of Qatar, which is another of these Gulf Emirates. The U.S. has a major military base there. So they have this plan. Uh, there's going to be lots of contracts, uh, you know, for, for hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars with countries in the Gulf, uh, possibly uh, in the United States, so on and so forth. 
and they have this grand plan and they and they begin to put it into effect. Now, uh, the big thing that happens is in the middle of the year, I believe it's in June of 2017, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates form a blockade of Qatar. Now, there's not a, normally we think of blockades as like blockading, uh, you know, an island or something like that. This is, it's a, it's a mix of trade restrictions, uh, flight restrictions, and so on and so forth. It's, a, it's basically an act of war, though, even though there's no actual shooting involved. Now, the big thing that happens is that Jared Kushner seems to be supporting this and pushing it along. And he eventually brings President Trump along too, also supporting it. Even though the State Department is very uneasy with what's happening and wants to wants there to be a settlement, and the Pentagon does as well. Remember, we have a big military base in Qatar. If our, I mean, it's not really a tenable situation for the U.S. considering the military ties we have with all these countries. And again, we have a military base in Qatar. It's a big deal. But they get the Trump family on board supporting this. Now, another thing we know is that not long before this, the Kushner family had tried really hard to get the government of Qatar to give them a big loan to save this building they have, which is, which is threatening to bankrupt their family real estate company, wanted a loan for that. Qatar said no. That also seems to fit into the mix of, of what happens here. But what we didn't know until quite recently was that Broidy and George Nader had been lobbying the president, lobbying Jared Kushner, lo- lobbying everybody to make sure they, they sided with Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates when this happened. So that is a big thing that that we know now. And in that AP article, a lot of what I'm describing about this, this, this lobbying back and forth and the contracts and so forth, that all comes from an Associated Press article that was published on Monday. Now, with that, they also have a lot of emails, and you can kind of see the different meetings and so forth. It's a fascinating stuff. You can Google uh, Elliot Broidy, George Nader, Associated Press emails, and you'll, you'll find it somewhere on the web. They're fascinating to read. Now, put a pin in that for one moment. It seems like, where do these emails come from? It seems like Cutter, knowing these guys are their enemies and are bringing the, the, pre, the president of the United States uh, onto the side of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates to squeeze them, they hacked Broidy's emails. We don't know this for a fact, but that seems to be the case. So there's all sorts of subterfuge and uh, hacking and criminality, all sorts of stuff going on here. Now, everything is going great for George Nader and Elliot Broidy through the course of, of 2017. You've got the blockade of Qatar that happens in June 2017. They're moving ahead with these plans for the big contracts and everything until something goes wrong in January 2018. And what happens is George Nader is returning to the United States. He flies into Dulles Airport, which is just south of Washington, D.C. He is going to catch another flight to go to Florida to meet Broidy and President Trump for their third meeting down at Mar-a-Lago. There's a big party there for the one-year anniversary of, of President Trump's 
uh, presidency, but these three are going to have another meeting. Now, there's also money kind of flowing around in, 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 in the background, but Nader has a surprise. The FBI is waiting for him at Dulles Airport. They're working for Robert Mueller's investigation. They take him aside, confiscate all his electronic devices, question him for about two hours. And as the result of that, in short order, he is now a cooperating witness with the Mueller probe. So they're waiting for him down in Mar-a-Lago and he never shows up. And now he's a cooperating witness, which which obviously changes a lot of things uh, pretty quickly. Uh, I guess they didn't technically arrest him. Um, I think I think one of the reasons that... Uh, the FBI does this when people uh, come into airports is one is just you have a very defined time. You know right where they're going to be at a specific moment. I think at least when you're coming from abroad, even if you're a U.S. citizen, your rights are very curtailed when you are entering the United States from abroad. So that may be a reason they do it too. In any case, they have him. They confiscate all of his communications. They clearly know the stuff that he and Broidy are involved with. So they turn him. Now, what else is going on with these two guys? Another thing that happened in 2017, and we really still don't know the full story here, is somehow Elliot Brody got the two lawyers who did the Stormy Daniels hush money agreement Michael Cohen, President Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, and a guy named Keith Davidson, who's basically a sex tape lawyer from out in California. I mean, if you look in basically every big scandal, this guy is somehow involved with someone trying to, uh, you know, get money to be silent or something like that. This is the guy, Keith Davidson, you know, the, the Hulk Hogan sex tape that destroyed Gawker, right? That whole big lawsuit and everything that, that led to Gawker going bankrupt. He was the guy shopping the sex tape, Keith Davidson. In any case, we're getting ahead of ourselves or getting, we're going down a, a, a rabbit hole. Elliot Brody, who is this American security company billionaire investor doing this unregistered uh, foreign agent lobbying of the president, somehow or another, he ends up being represented by Michael Cohen to get a hush money agreement that is supposed to keep quiet a woman, a former uh, a Playboy model, who he supposedly was in a, I don't exactly know what the, um, what terminology would use, a, an exclusive monogamous paid relationship, uh, or I guess I'm not, I'm not a, a I think paid relationship. I mean, you know, who knows, right? I mean, this, somehow or another, he he contracted uh, with this woman to be monogamous with him over uh, a year and a half or two years. He got her pregnant. She apparently uh, aborted the pregnancy. She went to Keith Davidson, wanted uh, money or wanted financial assistance. Whatever it was, you end up with he, Elliot Brody, agrees to pay her $1.6 million. Keith Davidson, her lawyer, usually gets 40% of these settlements. So he gets well over half a million dollars for this. Michael Cohen settles for a flat fee of $250,000. 
Elliot Broidy. Now, here's the thing. We don't know anything that gives us a specific reason to think that Elliot Broidy did not have this affair and then needed to, you know, have some sort of a settlement so this wouldn't, this woman would not come forward. Now, you might think, who the hell is Elliot Broidy? What, is someone going to go to like National Enquirer and say, hey, I had an affair with Elliot Broidy, even though you've never heard of Elliot Broidy and you couldn't care less who he is? That would be a good question. And But having said all that, I don't want to speculate too much. We have no specific reason to think that, again, he he didn't have this affair. There needed to be a settlement, whatever. It is very hard, nonetheless, for me to imagine that somehow the guy who is a business partner doing this unregistered foreign agent lobbying of the president and tied at the hip to the United Arab Emirates and the Saudis and working with the guy who helped set up the back channel to Russia, that somehow this guy also ends up with a hush money deal with Michael Cohen? I mean, there's something, something is up here, but I don't know what it is. In any case, that happened. Now, we also know that it was in early January, around the same time, that the Stormy Daniels case first started bubbling up. And when that story came out, in the second or third story that came out in January about Stormy Daniels, Michael Cohen's name was brought up. And one of those stories mentioned Essential Consultants, the shell company that Cohen had set up to pay Stormy Daniels. Now, Michael Cohen was not only using Essential Consultants to get his payments from AT&T and Novartis and the investment firm owned by that Russian oligarch and also the Korean aerospace company, He was also using it to get his four installments of the $250,000 flat fee from Elliot Broidy. Okay. Now, when Essential Consultants is publicized, Broidy probably looks at this and says, holy shit, dude, what is going on here? I I, now, you know, this is my my whole thing is going to get publicized. He starts sending the remainder of the payments to Cohen directly, not through, not through essential consultants. And finally, no doubt as part of that ongoing reporting about Stormy Daniels, the hush agreement that he has with this uh, former Playboy playmate who he had the two-year paid contractual monogamous relationship. I, I think I think clearly monogamous on her side. I'm not sure if it's monogamous on his side. Anyway, that all comes out. And you can see one of the things that is not totally clear yet, but I think we're gonna we're gonna find out more. These things are coming to light because the reporting is feeding off each each other. It still seems quite possible that some of these hush money stories may have come to light because of things happening in the background with what these guys were doing with the United Arab Emirates and the Saudis, maybe the various investigations. We, ju- we just don't know, but it all fits together. 
or rather, somehow it must fit together. We just don't know how yet. Now, the other thing to think about, and this is, this is what is still kind of a mystery to me, the Emirates, Emirates, I can't remember, I never know how to pronounce that, Emirates, I think, the, the citizens or, or the subjects of the United Arab Emirates, they have, and you can see this from that August 3rd meeting, they have their own very specific list of things that they want from Donald Trump, and they want him to become president. The main things are they really don't like Barack Obama's uh, rapprochement with Iran, the Iran deal, um, trying to defuse that uh, regional conflict. These countries are trying to create an anti-Iran coalition in the region, which, which not only includes all the Gulf states, it also includes Israel, although sort of unofficially. Now, they want to do this. They want the U.S. to get rid of the Iran deal. They want the United States to be a robust part of that anti-Iran alliance, which not only touches on Iran, it also touches on the war in Yemen, the ongoing war in, in Syria. That's what they want. Now, George Nader is their emissary, their guy, their fixer, for lack of a better word, doing all this stuff. But he's also involved pulling together connections between the Trump family and Russia. He makes a couple uh, very secret visits to, to Russia, to Moscow during 2016. He puts together that Seychelles meeting. Now, it's not clear whether there's just sort of an alliance of convenience between these different foreign states that are trying to get Donald Trump elected, or whether the Emirates and the, and the Saudis and the Russians, whether their operations somehow are combined or working together. We just don't know that yet. And what is, what is perplexing, but not necessarily contradictory, is remember a moment ago I said that these conservative uh, Gulf monarchies, their big goal is to create this anti-Iran regional alliance because they see Iran as on the march in the Middle East and becoming sort of like a regional great power, threatens them in, 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 in various ways. So they want to create this anti-Iran alliance, which includes uh, most of the uh, Arab states, certainly the conservative uh, Gulf monarchies, Israel, a few other countries. Now, on the other side of that is the is Iran, is the Assad government in Syria, is the Houthis in um, in Yemen, and Russia is the regional backer of Assad, to a lesser extent Iran, but basically Russia is on the other side of the alliance that they are trying to put together. So. That doesn't exactly make sense that they would be operating in tandem. And we don't really have a quite a good answer to that. I suspect the answer is something along the lines of it kind of doesn't make sense, but everybody has things that they can get from Trump. Certainly Russia has gotten a lot of things it wanted from Trump. Uh, the Saudis and the Emirates have gotten a lot they wanted from Trump. The fact that Trump 
pulled out of the Iran deal. The Saudis and the UAE like that a lot. Does Russia mind? I, I, from what I can see, not necessarily. It, it, it just creates a more, a, a greater atmosphere of confrontation uh, for the United States. It causes all sorts of problems in the NATO alliance. It even drives up oil prices, which is good for Russia because that's where uh, energy, fossil fuels are really uh, Russia's big source of the source of its economy. So in any case, we don't know yet exactly what these two forces are doing. They clearly overlap at some level, but we don't know how far it goes, whether these are Nader somehow personally is bringing them together, kind of operating in different, different capacities or what. In any case, we now know a big new dimension of the Russia story and something that is perhaps related as an investigation, but quite distinct, which is that the Russians were not the only foreign power going to not only trying to help Donald Trump become president, but going to Donald Trump, going to members of the Trump family and saying, hey, we want you to become president and we are here, here to help and getting a response, which is basically, I love it. Let's do it. From everything we know, that was exactly Don Jr.'s response in that August 3rd meeting, even though we don't know all the details of what came out of it. In any case, that is, that's our episode for today. I hope this has been helpful in kind of piecing together uh, how these different news stories fit together. This is always one of the things that, that you know, I am most interested in is taking different news stories from different news organizations, sometimes mixing it with our own reporting, TPM's own reporting, and trying to, trying to line them up. How do they, how do, how do they, how do they match up? What, what can you learn by sort of meshing them together? I mean, one, one thing that I was very struck by this Associated Press piece, which I mentioned at, at the top of the episode, if you look at it on its own, it kind of seems like George Nader and Elliot Broidy just have this, you know, great business idea that they are going to build a relationship between these golf princes and Trump, and they're going to get all these contracts and make hundreds of millions of dollars. And at some level, that clearly was what it is. These guys want money. They're kind of, you know, doing all these different things. But when you add to that the New York Times article, you see that this effort to bring the Trump family behind countries like Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates to, to crack down on Qatar, that starts before Nader even meets Elliot Broidy. So the business, the money-making, is layered on to something that is pre-existing, and that is Nader is the emissary from the United Arab Emirates, indirectly from Saudi Arabia, to come to the Trump family and say, we want to help you, and there are things that we want in return. So that's the episode today. I want to remind you that uh, the Josh Marshall Podcast is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. And as you know, like I, I totally love this stuff. Um, 
It's great, so you should try Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. I'm feeling kind of like lonely here. This is normally when I'd sign off with David Tainer, but like I said, David is homesick. David, we hope you're like alive. Uh, you know, hope nothing terrible has happened, and you'll be back for the the next episode. It'll probably be later this week. I think we got a pretty good interview uh, coming up with with an episode later this week. And anyway. Hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode, episode 14 of the Josh Marshall Podcast. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you next week.